0: Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 1.1 of Beyond Deconstructing. I am T. Jamaica Pogue, affectionately known as Deconstructing Neuro. This podcast will expand on the topics that we discuss in my series, Deconstructing Neurodivergence. And here's a little background on that. Deconstructing neurodivergence is aimed at breaking down the stereotypes, fallacies, and harmful assumptions that have pigeonholed so many. Autism is still defined largely based on how the cognitive and behavioral patterns of Autistic people differ from Allistic people. There is little emphasis on defining and understanding the strengths and different abilities of Autistic brains. Rather, the focus of most autism studies revolves around ways to make the autistic brain more holistic. Historically, autism has been seen as a masculine disease in that it primarily affects males and results in a male-dominant brain. Terms like Asperger's and female autism were introduced over time to explain the behaviors in those that fit the clinical criteria for an autism diagnosis, but may have diverged from the phenotype associated with autism. And although it's been well over a century since autism was identified and officially studied, the presumptions about autism, both within and outside of the mental health community still widely exclude women and other marginalized groups, namely black and indigenous people of color. What I call the face of autism plays a large role in the rate at which women and BIPOC individuals have their autism diagnosis missed or face inaccurate diagnosis for their individual symptoms. Women and people of color are more likely to have their autism misdiagnosed as a combination of personality or behavioral disorders rather than have them linked together as manifestations of an autistic brain. So there is an overwhelming need for more research on how autism presents in women and people of color. And because of that, I was inspired to begin the series, Deconstructing Neural Divergence. That series is more educational and will take different concepts like intersectionality, masking, and self-diagnosis and break them down further. Here on Beyond Deconstructing, I wanna focus more on conversations with actually autistic people, getting an idea of their lived experience and learning and seeing just how multifaceted autism is. Because again, the face of autism has been largely shaped by an allistic view, allistic meaning non-autistic. So an outsider view. Nothing can supersede lived experience. And because historically autistic people have been left out of the conversation and have not had a seat at the table when it comes to researching autism and coming up with ways to accommodate autistic people, this is a time for us to make ourselves known and to carve out a space at the table. No representation of us should continue without us being a part of the conversation. So with that being said, I'm super excited to jump into my first interview. I absolutely love speaking with this person we met originally on TikTok. And I when she popped up on my for you page, it was an instant follow for me. I instantly resonated with her and her perspective and now getting to know her outside of TikTok, it's definitely a a great connection. And I'm super excited to have her for the first episode. Uh, Just as a quick introduction, our Renee, also known as unhinged and dysregulated is also a late diagnosed autistic black woman. And although we grew up on opposite ends of the country, we have a lot of parallel experiences. And a lot of the things that we touch on here are going to be expanded upon further in deconstructing neurodivergence, But after speaking with her, I really feel like this is such a great introduction into the, the whole idea behind deconstructing neural and why we need to do it. So without further ado, let's go. I'm so happy that you guys are with me today. I have a very special guest for my first episode. I'm so excited that she decided to bless us. I am going to turn it over to Roxy to introduce herself and give us a little bit of a background on who you are and what you do. All right, thank you for having me. I really
1: appreciate this opportunity to chat with you and to also speak to your audience. Um my name is Roxy. My usernames and everything and my pen name is RNA. Um I'm a recently late diagnosed, um, autistic person. I also have ADHD, um, diagnosed with both of those things at age 35. So pretty late in life. Um, it turned my whole world upside down, but in a good way. Um, part of that world turning upside down was just changing my career, uh, changing my friendship circle, changing my community and sort of just relearning life. And it's driven me to, start a little online community of my own. I started writing books, which is something I've always wanted to do. But now I have direction and purpose. And even though some people may look at these diagnoses as a negative, it's such a positive for me. And I just want to want to share that positivity with everyone who has been going through the same thing and is unsure of their identity and unsure of where they're floating around in life when they have these like big heavy diagnoses late in life.
0: Definitely. I understand that. Um, def- you know, I understand that completely. And I kind of wanted to hear a little bit more about your journey to how you discovered that you are autistic, um, because if correct me if I'm wrong, you're self-diagnosed, right?
1: Formally diagnosed.
0: Oh, you are formally diagnosed. Okay, awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, then, yeah, kind of walk me through that journey, if you don't mind.
1: Um. So, <laughs> The journey is a lifelong one because you know once you're diagnosed and you start reprocessing everything, you're like, okay, so when I was two, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was way back. Um so starting from let's see, let's start from my early 20s. I I started having these experiences socially that never made sense to me, but were so incredibly painful for me. Um, I've always been a really diligent worker, a really hard worker. Um, I went to school for business administration and got into real estate. I really wanted to get into commercial real estate. And for some reason, that crowd just terrified me because, you know, masking, right? You don't know when you're masking before you're diagnosed, but it's just something that you inherently do just to protect yourself. And I couldn't figure out how to do it in a very old man dominated industry, right? Mm -hmm. Even though I knew what to do, I knew I could be successful. There was nothing I could do to fit in with those people. So I completely abandoned it. I abandoned it. And it was a good time because it was 2009 when the credit crisis hit, real estate was not it. So (laughs) it was the perfect storm. So then I got into cosmetology because even when I was in high school, every time there was a prom, Of course, being like the awkward black girl that I was in a very white school, no one was asking me to go to any prom. So I always had girls lined up out of my kitchen doing their makeup and hair, like doing the updos and stuff. And I thought, well, I need a new career, so I'll just go to beauty school. And I I did really well with that. But when it came to working in salons, I struggled so hard Mm. with the people. No one ever liked me. Blow dryers going like flat irons clicking, 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 like fluorescent lighting. I didn't know why all those things just grated on my nerves so hard, but I I couldn't last doing hair. So then I switched to nails because I thought, well, nails, it's quieter. I like fine detail. I can zone out. I can dissociate and do that, which I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. But even that became too much and no one ever liked me wherever I worked. So then I got into lashes. And lashes and brows are big money. I didn't have to work that much to make a good income. And I could make enough where I could like pay for my own little private studio and work alone. And that was the first time I ever worked alone and worked for myself. Girl, that was the longest job I ever held <laughs> it was the job wow. I created for myself. Mm-hmm. And I because I went to school for business, like I knew how to run and market a business. I did super well for myself financially. But not knowing my brain, I set my business up in a very neurotypical way. And, you know, I work, 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 worked Monday to Sunday, open to close from dark in the morning to dark in the evening. And I was in a relationship at the time. I was living with that person. And looking back at it now, my brain just slowly started to crumble. And unfortunately, I was with someone who I later found out has a narcissistic personality disorder. So it was just the perfect storm to break me completely down, completely down. So when the pandemic hit, I lost my business. I was living with this person who had me right with their right where they wanted me. I went from being the breadwinner to them being the breadwinner. And I lost my mind. I lost my mind. I was Also, like, kind of reaching for new age spirituality, too, which didn't help because I just needed something. I needed to be rescued by something. Yeah. Not realizing that I just needed a physician. That's a whole other story. So losing my mind was a little bit of burnout and shutdown and trauma that I didn't realize was trauma at the time. And I went through a really dark season of being very suicidal in making attempts on my life. And I made some friends who, like, I got on Bumble BFF and made some girlfriends. Those are very brief friendships because it wasn't, like, real friendship, you know? Yeah, not a soul tribe. No, 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 not at all. But one of the girls there, I was they were asking me about my relationship. And I started to tell them a little bit about it. You know when you don't realize you're being abused and then someone asks you about your relationship and you tell them stuff and they're like their jaws on the floor like girl what yeah <laughs> and one, of the, one of the girls in that group was like uh, do you know what a narcissist is do you know what an empath is like here's this blog that I read it called the narcissist and the empath was like a blog or an article or something and she sent it to me and I read it and I was like oh my god oh my yeah. god <laughs> and that's what sent me to therapy And then when I got into therapy and started talking about him and all my trauma and everything that I've been through, she started crying. When you make your therapist cry, you know, that's that's serious. (laughs) (laughs) And she started talking to me about CPTSD and anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And I didn't recognize what those things were coming from a really religious background. You just you don't talk about mental health or mental illness or anything like that or trauma um i was always taught to just like pray things away and then when i left religion like there is no prayer there's meditation and new no mm-hmm. expir- age spirituality which is like same thing different font right so then she referred me to a nurse practitioner that prescribed me meds for the anxiety and depression and i was going i was doing um emdr for the c p t s d and that helped And I also ended that relationship eventually, which was excruciating, but I was able to do it. And when I started treating the TPSD and working on the anxiety and my body finally lifted out of survival mode, Mm -hmm. I couldn't really function properly. Like I felt better, but like everything just felt so foreign to me. And like I like I said, I had to close my salon, like I had to find a new career, and I'm going to school online and I can't like read a full sentence without stopping and doing something else and picking something else up. I'd read half a sentence and like, oh, I have to do this other thing. And I couldn't, I couldn't focus on anything. And high school was kind of like that for me, but it was just so much worse in my 30s. I'm like, why can't I? grocery shop? Why can't I read? Why can't I sleep? Like, I can't sit through a TV show. I can't do much of anything. And so I talked to that nurse practitioner about those things. And she referred me to a psychiatrist. And I started talking to them about these things. And they said something about like residual effects of long, long periods of trauma and how ctpsd can manifest in all these different ways and like you're strong you can handle it you're doing so good like it was a lot of that mm-hmm. <laughs> so then i get on tiktok and get into narc talk and narc talk kind of led me to trauma talk and trauma <laughs> talk kind of led me to autizzy. <laughs> yes, yeah I was like, wait a minute
2: that pipeline
1: is direct (laughs) this is making a little too much sense i thought autism was something little white boys get like am i autistic this seems weird so i talked to my therapist about my suspicions that i could have autism and she was like that makes a lot of sense i was actually kind of suspecting that that might be the case like girl could you let somebody Let know. <laughs> so then she referred me to the University of Washington, which has like a big autism center, mainly for kids. Like during the time of the pandemic, they were only evaluating children.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: the people there were really helpful and were able to refer me to someone like hours away that could do a full evaluation. Um, that process was also for me, I'm like I don't want to scare anyone into like not getting evaluated, but that was very scary for me. One, I don't mm. have insurance. I didn't have insurance at the time. I still don't. So I had to really dip into my savings to pay for that, and it was a couple thousand dollars. Wow! And it's like it's it took several days because it's like it's many hours. Like each test takes like four, five, six hours to get through, and they're also kind of like weird questions and like explain this or build a story around this or choose this toy or just toy and like make a story out of this. And it'll, it'll, it was so wow. Like being put on the spot and having to, it's really just looking at your pattern recognition and your ability to navigate your way through certain social situations and things like that. It was like my worst nightmare, having to be put on the stop, put on the spot and like be kind of quick on your feet, which I'm not. They want to see how you are unmasked, basically, is what it is. And that's (laughs) terrifying for someone who doesn't want to do that. Um, And then after that, I was able to just feel validated in myself. I was able to show myself some compassion. Also, another thing, once you get your evaluation and your formal diagnosis, like there's not much else after that. You mm. get your diagnosis, and that's kind of it. There's no prescription. There's no real support for autistic adults, especially when you're high masking, and that physician like just kind of decides you're going to be okay. You've been okay all this time. Like, work on your trauma. Keep seeing your therapist. But as far as the autism, like, whoop.
0: <laughs> like yeah, <if> you're not <laughs> a little kid. There's you hit on like a, a lot. Yeah, no, you hit on a very important point that I kind of wanted to expand on. Uh, Well, firstly, thank you so much for walking us through your journey. I want to get back to some of the points that you hit on because I resonate with a lot of them, and uh, we have kind of a similar path in regards to how we figured out that we're autistic, Um, but I am currently self-diagnosed, at least with autism. I have gotten an official clinical diagnosis for ADHD and generalized anxiety disorder, but i have not been formally assessed yet for autism and part of me feels like at this point i shouldn't even go through with it because i'm already seeing how little support i would have from you know from work from even you know people that i thought were my friends not believing me because i've been so high masking and so high achieving my whole life so um after you got your formal diagnosis could you could you kind of walk us through maybe like some of the things you tried to do to to kind of that prove to you that there are no differences outside of having the clinical diagnosis? Like, did you try to reach out to people or, or kind of walk us through that journey?
1: Um, I was hoping that after after that I got that diagnosis, I was hoping that there was some kind of support group or something, some kind of community, some referral to. Somewhere where I could connect to other people, my age, my gender, my race, going through the same thing. And there just was nothing. The mm. physician had nothing for me. <laughs> like There was none of that. Um, I looked online for groups in my area, like meetup groups or, or something like that. And there was nothing. Mm. I think there's just so many people in our age group. That are undiagnosed and just don't know. And yeah. when there, there's nothing in media, there's nothing on TV, there's nothing on Netflix. Like there's nothing telling people, pointing them in the direction of autism. Maybe ADHD. ADHD is kind of trendy right now, and you can kind of cutesify ADHD, especially when you're a woman. When mm-hmm. people look at a woman with ADHD, they just think, you know, she's.
2: Quirky, distractible,
1: like kind of manic pixie dream girl sort of thing. Like it's kind of cutesy. You can't really mm-hmm. do that with autism because there's such a stigma attached to it. And people believe that it's just for children. So maybe other areas, maybe other big cities have that. I'm, I say Seattle, I'm in the boonies. Like I'm a couple hours south of Seattle. <laughs> um, But even in Seattle, there was just, there's no community around this. So yeah. that's how I knew like, oh, I'm like I'm validated in knowing knowing what I have and I can move forward learning more about my brain. I mm-hmm. can save money not seeing any more physicians about it cuz I know what it is now and I know they can't really do much for me. Um but just looking and not finding anything and getting really discouraged was that was the that's all the sign that I needed that like I'm kind of on my own with this until until TikTok.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because TikTok gets a lot of negative stigma uh, all around. A lot of people still consider it uh, a children's dancing app. And then even if they know at this point that it's much more than that, There's this stigma of, well, it's trendy now, or you're just jumping on the bandwagon, especially for someone like myself who is self-diagnosed, not having that doctor co-sign off on it really does take away from some of the legitimacy, Uh, but for me, TikTok has been such a great resource, not just for learning information, but like you said, building a community. Like this is how we came into contact. I'm in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. We're clear across the country from each other. If we try to, because I've tried the same thing, try to find programs in my area for adults and Mm -hmm. especially for adults of color, um, and they just don't exist. So if we didn't have something like TikTok to bring us together, we wouldn't even know that each other existed and had such, you know, parallel experiences and a lot of things in common. And so I am very grateful for that. I'm very grateful for the community because it is very much needed. We need to share our stories. Mm -hmm. Um, You brought up something that I call the face of autism, which is what we think of as soon as we hear autism, we think of the stereotype, which is usually young white boys. And we are literally the exact opposite. We are Mm -hmm. adult Black Women. And so, more often than not, our autism gets missed or misdiagnosed for many reasons. One of the reasons that you brought up earlier that I wanted to go back to was growing up in a religious background. You know, not every Black person, I don't want to say we're a monolith, but it's very common for a lot of us to be religious or grow up Christian. Um, even if we don't go to church on a regular basis we grow up with loose Christian ideals. And a mm-hmm. lot of that is avoiding and and passing things off, right? So, oh no, we're going to avoid talking about this because we just need to pray. Or we're, this. you don't have anything wrong with you. You just need to believe more. And I know for me that that caused me a lot of uh, anxiety and strife when I was growing up because- I felt like there was something wrong with me because I couldn't just wool away certain things. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing now that again, it was because I was avoiding and not facing uh, what was actually happening with me. <laughs> but um, so yeah, so I've seen some of your recent content and I definitely am interested. I can't wait to read your book. I would love to hear a little bit more about your perspective on spirituality. Just as a prompt, um, I kind of went through a path of going through all different kinds of spirituality after leaving Christianity, I still felt this pull toward the esoteric because at that point I still didn't have the language for what I was going through. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was autism. I didn't know that it was pattern recognition. I didn't know that it was trauma responses and things like that. And so I got really deep into spirituality and um, even to this day, even though I know that I'm not psychic, I just have autistic pattern recognition There are still certain things that I don't think are harmful to hold on to, like not necessarily um, manifestation like the toxic positivity kind of manifestation, but more so Mm -hmm. aligning with, hey, where your attention goes, your energy flows. So Mm -hmm. reframing your mind does help you to see the good things that are already there or clear up your mind to be able to see more of the good things. But I think that people still lean into, well, no, that's me manifesting. That's me. You know, I did this because of my intention, which it kind of is true, but it isn't, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So I kind of wanted to hear a little bit more of your perspective on that because I feel like you were touching on a lot of that recently.
1: Yeah. um, So my spiritual background started in a cult i was raised seventh-day adventist and it's a really oppressive religion it's really it's really heavily religious and there's a lot of tradition and a lot of ritual and stuff like that and i i left that But guilt made me still want to be in some sort of religion. And that's when I found evangelical Christianity, which they tend to dress up as non-denominational and Mm -hmm. laid back and chill. And the pastor wears jeans and there's like a drummer and a guitarist in the worship band. And like there's a worship band, not just a organ. (laughs) (laughs)
2: And
1: but it was it was worse. It was almost worse because. Seventh-day Adventism just is what it is, and it doesn't try to dress itself up, it's dress itself up as anything else. And it's very old and very traditional. And non-denominational Christianity dresses itself up; it's it's a it's a brand. Like they market to people, they market to young people, like right out of high school, right before they go into college. And that age group is so impressionable because when you leave high school, you're so eager to grow up and to be an adult. And to go out on your own when you go to college, you're exposed to so many different types of people. You start to really form your own opinions. And that's when they want you in church, especially Mm. if you're a woman. And so everyone in the congregation was like 18, 19, 20. Maybe the oldest was 25. That was pretty much the whole church. And they're just really focused on like purity culture and getting married and women should do this and men should do that. And I just, ugh. I wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself, and I still wanted to connect to spirituality, but there was so much trauma with that. And so after I left that, I found New Age spirituality and tarot and oracles and like uh, divination and stuff like that. And I've always considered myself someone that was somewhat intuitive. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I come from a long line of very intuitive women, but maybe I come from a long line of autistic women. (laughs) (laughs) That could be a thing, too. I still read tarot today, but I think the draw to New Age spirituality was feeling like you have the freedom to explore your spiritual gifts without judgment. But there is Um. lots of judgment. There's a ton of judgment there, especially when you're Black especially when you're someone who's very logical, no matter how intuitive I am, I'm still a very logical person and I mm-hmm. still need clarity on things. And I still have questions that feel like threats. I'm just that person. I'm going to ask you questions. It's going to feel like a threat. If you're neurotypical,
2: <laughs> yes. if you can't see
1: the question for what it is, you're going to feel threatened by me. And I, I experience that a lot in new age spirituality. And I think the draw for a lot of people with new age and manifestation is that it appeals to very traumatized people? It appeals to people that are desperate to connect to something. And when it doesn't work, you got to pay up. You got to pay some kind of coach to teach you how to manifest. And manifestation is ancient. It's not a new white girl thing, it's not a witchy woo woo Coachella thing. <laughs> it's ancient. And ancient manifesta- manifestation was for the collective. It was for, you know, bringing rains to land so that crops could grow and the whole community could be fed and nourished so that people's babies weren't dying because their mothers were malnourished and couldn't breastfeed. Like it was for the people. And that has been completely lost in new age spirituality. So when I wrote my book, I wrote that from a perspective of a black woman who is highly traumatized, who has neurological differences. Who deals with, who struggles with mental illness and maintaining my mental health, but still believes in manifestation and still believes in mysticism. But what is the root of that for us? Like Mm -hmm. when you really get down to the magic of the universe, what does that really mean for us? It's regulating your nervous system, it's feeling safe in your body and in your mind. And when you Mm -hmm. feel safe in your body and in your mind, that's when you can move mountains, that's when you can really make change in your life. When, Especially as Black women, we we stay in survival mode. We don't have much of a choice in a society like this. But when you're able to lift out of that, that is where your power comes from. Can I just will something into existence? No. It takes work. It takes inspired action. But where do you get that inspiration from? You have to feel safe. That's what my whole book is about.
0: Cool girl. Yes. So definitely we'll have you back on after I read the book because <laughs> I will have a million and one questions, but you put it, basically you said it, you took what I was trying to ask <laughs> and like said it way better. Um, Cause yeah, that's exactly the, kind of the, the the conclusion that I came to after working through Christianity and going into new age spirituality, I have a million and one tarot and Oracle decks as well. Astrology, natal charts, all of that good stuff. No, I think that there, the way I look at every kind of religious structure and spirituality, there's a nugget of truth there that Mm -hmm. got, um, covered up in people's culture and ideals as opposed to sticking with that truth. So I don't think that we should dismiss like anybody's or any like religion as like completely being off base, but we have to get to the root of it and look at it logically and move past the mysticism, move past the woo-woo and mm-hmm. say, hey, what do these all have in common? What are these like tenants, these core tenants all have in common? What are they trying to teach us? Um and and that will help us to get back to the root of of what it's all about. Um, so yeah, speaking, uh, so in spirituality, again, I had like a similar path. Um, I don't know about you at one point, I legitimately thought I was psychic because my pattern recognition is ridiculous. And also I'm realizing now that I'm, I just started medication for anxiety. Um, most of it is dealing with my anxiety when it comes to my quote unquote future casting. Because I have really great pattern recognition and because I can't let things go, I think about them and I ruminate about them so much that I need to make the puzzle pieces fit together. And I usually am able to. And because of that, I just thought I was psychic. I don't know if you ever thought you were psychic or not, or if that's something that you connect with.
1: Yeah, um, I definitely believed I was psychic. I still want to believe that I am. Uh, I have friends that will reach out to me every once in a while for like tarot readings and I do it and then they'll always come back and say yep you called it that happened so I I can't explain what feels inexplicable to me like Mm -hmm. I've maybe I'm just good at predicting things maybe that is just pattern recognition but I've always felt very intuitive Mm -hmm. um but I, I, I can't deny science I can't deny how the brain actually works. There was a point in time where I believed that I was clairsentient sentient and clear audience. But is that mental illness?
2: <laughs> I
0: don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I you know
1: hear I... things and smell things and like feel touches that aren't there and smell things that aren't there and hear voices that aren't there and have premonitions that actually play out like, I don't know. But when I started medication, all that kind of
0: went away. And, you know, oh, I'm actually glad you said that, because what I was about to say was, I don't know, it could be part of our autism, because we I feel like one of the things that is a commonality amongst Neurodivergent people, especially those who are autistic, is our ability to sense what's quote unquote not there. But is it that it's not there or that most people don't perceive it? We could Mm. talk about like our sensory issues. Like, I'll go into a room and I might hear something that someone else doesn't hear, and it's like a socket or something like that. That's like really loud. Everybody else in the room might think I'm crazy, but I know I'm not crazy. I know that something is in the wall, like sizzling or something like that. So, Mm I, and then you take, you you said that it stopped after you started taking medication. This is part Mm -hmm. of the reason why I was so hesitant to start taking uh, medication for my anxiety. And I'm less than two weeks in, so I don't even think it's really started to kick in yet. Um, But this is part of the reason why I was, hesitant to start it was because firstly, I didn't know how it would make me feel. And secondly, I've heard things about people feeling numb, feeling like zombies, feeling like they're disconnected from themselves. And as much as anxiety can pain me a lot of the times by ruminating and not being able to let things go, it also helps a lot when it comes to me being able to work through things because I can't just like ignore it. I have to make it make Mm -hmm. sense and get to the why behind the what. That kind of like dog with a bone mentality, I Mm kind of latched onto it as a superpower. So I don't know. That's an interesting discussion. Like, is it distinguishable? Like, is it a mental illness? Should it be something that is pathologized or is it just that we have this extrasensory ability To see outside of the normal spectrum that like neurotypical people box themselves into being able to see.
2: Mm.
1: Well, I think you know how people say that ADHD is kind of a superpower.
2: Mm. I 100%
1: believe that because it went away when I started trying to treat it. And I don't think it's something that I really needed to treat. And I know not everyone's going to agree with that. And I know there's different levels of severity for everyone. But I really regret getting evaluated and I know the evaluation had nothing to do with ADHD, but I really regret taking that step to get Mm. a formal diagnosis. The process wasn't like terrible. Like, again, I don't want to scare people away from the process. I just, I'm very, I'm a very highly anxious person. And I had, there was a couple people like on TikTok that I kind of warned against getting the evaluation aside from the money. Um, Not only did it not really guide me to really any help or support, like, I may not be able to adopt one day, like, if I ever decided I want to have children, I may not be able to adopt. If I can have children naturally, like, on my own, and the person I decide to have those children with, if we get divorced and they want those children, they could potentially take them from me because I have this diagnosis. Like I didn't think about all of that beforehand and I didn't really thoroughly weigh the pros and cons because I believed like I have this diagnosis. It's considered a disability. There has to be some kind of support safety net for people with disabilities. Not this one. Yeah. Not when you function the way you and I do there, there's not a whole lot. There's a lot of downside to it in terms of finding work and like, checking off the box like do you have any of these disabilities like the the EEOC now includes autism and ADHD and like special accommodations all that stuff and like now that I am applying for jobs like if I don't check the box but I do need all these accommodations like they can just choose not to or let me go if I do check it they can just not hire me (laughs) like I don't I don't know what to do now. I wish I hadn't have, I wish I hadn't have done it. Wow.
0: So yeah, that reminded me of um some of the things that I felt when I first started looking for and asking for support and accommodations, I was like, Oh, here I go with my autistic naivete thinking and my, my sense of justice. I'm like, well, this is true. I actually have autism. I actually need these accommodations. I should just be able to ask for them. Right. I should just be able to explain why I need these things. Seeing as how I've been a top performer, I am always doing not only my work, but other people's work. I've been a quote unquote asset and realizing just how quickly people will go from loving you and or like lauding you to treating you like you're some selfish, manipulative person who's just asking for something because they want to be treated specially as opposed to, I I, I literally need this. I'm not asking you for this to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that I I hope to be able to do with deconstructing neurodivergence is bring an awareness to the multifaceted way that autism presents in so many different people. Because as women, as adults, as people of color, we are always historically left out of the conversation when it comes to autism. And then even beyond that, every autistic person. Suffers from how autism is represented because it is always represented from an holistic view.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Everything about autism that we know in the mainstream media—if we get represented—I know you brought that up earlier. We, there's no real representation, but even if we do get represented, it's always the stereotype. It's this cold, detached guy who loves trains, or it's this young child who can't stop stimming, or you know, just like it doesn't show. Women who work and hold down jobs and are bosses or are part of leadership who struggle internally, who don't realize that they are burning themselves out because they've been playing this role their whole lives. And so Mm -hmm. that's part of that was the biggest impetus for me when it came to deconstructing neurodivergence. That's why I chose to call it that we need to deconstruct. Mm-hmm. The construct around what we what we see when we think of neural divergence. Um, and so I, I'm so glad that we are having this kind of discussion of how it impacts us and how it shows up. Um, because, again, I to this day, when I tried to explain this to some people at work. And you probably got this. Um, you've probably gotten this before. I don't know if it's people negating you or trying to connect with you but oh wow I never would have known you were autistic you're so this or you're so that and you can do this you're not an introvert you're able to do this and then it's like so invalidating because I'm telling you from my perspective that this is what's going on but because you're so used to the mask you're so used to how able to perform for you that you're going to sit there in my face and tell me that I am not this because you don't see me that way
1: I just find what that I used to get was. I mean, I don't mean to swear, but I used to get. Oh, I thought you were sure such you a bitch know. when I first met you.
2: <laughs> That's
1: what I always get. I thought you were such a bitch when I met you. I'm like, oh, thank you. So you're telling me you still think that, <laughs> basically. Um, at- but yeah, I have. I've had that like invalidation when you tell someone like this is what I struggle with. I have autism. I have ADHD. And they go straight to their vision of like a very, very disabled person or someone with a lot of intellectual um, comorbidities, or they go to that, that person who is Mm non-speaking and then compare me to that and say, no, that's not you
2: okay this is not me I'm not that person. magically leaving my body <laughs> like... <laughs> thanks uh, I'm so much better <laughs>
0: exactly and that's what I'm getting at it's like it's so annoying especially because if we're most of the time that is coming from holistic and especially neurotypical people because I feel like when I speak to other people who have other different neurodivergencies like you know even if it's just not just, but even if it's like, you know, they have PTSD or CPTSD, but they don't have ADHD or autism. I just feel like anybody who has an ability to think outside of the paradigm, mm-hmm. are there, they've received this news or this information about me way better than anybody that is just straight up neurotypical because they don't just look at me as a monolith or as a box. It's not One of the things that me and my sister were actually just talking about recently was like how neurotypical people live based on scripts. Like everything is assumed already. And so they place people in boxes and it's like a way of compartmentalizing and not thinking really, Mm -hmm. not connecting those dots. Like this has to be this and this has to be that. And because of that, it's like so many of us, because when you're born and raised in the society, you start to internalize it. And then we don't even see our own autism or we start to explain it away. Mm -hmm. Or then even if we do come to the conclusion that we are autistic, then I know at least for myself, at first, I still tried to separate being autistic from who I am. Like, I would, when I first started realizing I was autistic, which was like during the pandemic, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm autistic, but... I can still do all of these things. I can still do all these things. But once it it took me hitting a wall and realizing mm-hmm. that, no, like, I can't actually do all these things. I was only doing all of these things because I felt like I needed to in order to be accepted, in order to fit in, in order to survive. And mm-hmm. now that I'm, like, stepping back and trying to get out of survival mode, I'm realizing that I was on autopilot a lot of the times. And a lot of people don't actually like the real me. They like that mask and the role that I played and served for them. And that's a heavy realization when you realize, wow, all these people that I put a lot of time, energy, effort, and, you know, love into couldn't give two shits about the real me.
1: Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, I can definitely relate to feeling like people really enjoyed, really benefited from my mask. But all the people that. Are no longer friends with me, people that I worked with that didn't like me. Because I'm gonna talk about coworkers. Because I am such an overdoer, overachiever, hard worker, you ask me to pick up a shift, I'm gonna take, I'm never gonna say no. Um, I was with those people more than I was with anyone else, more than I was with family, more than I was with my actual friends. So they watched me crack, they watched me break, they watched mm-hmm. me hit that wall. They watched me have meltdowns. They watched me burn out. They watched me go from happy, smiling, extroverted, life of the party, hardworking, running circles around everyone to I'm going to scream if you don't get the fuck out of my face. (laughs) Like They watched that happen. And so, of course, they're not going to like me. Of course, they're not going to connect with me because that's not what they signed up for. They they signed up for the mass that they met. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: so I know it's autism, but I also have to take accountability for the fact that I didn't know what was going on with me. I didn't understand my brain. If you met someone that was w- with you, appearing to be one way one day and then the complete opposite the next day, like someone with compassion and empathy would be like, Hey, are you are you good? Do you need to talk? It's like, but your coworkers aren't invested in you like that. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that they would fall away and like not really give a shit about what's really going on and especially like employers and bosses and managers they're not invested in you like that they're wondering why aren't you doing your job why aren't you being a team player you can't be a team player when you have executive dysfunction you're literally just trying to survive so i can understand all sides of it like i get it
0: yeah no i i that's a great point i um about the switch up, right? Because I don't know, maybe I was I hadn't really evaluated that part. I spent so much time being angry and frustrated because, at least for me, in my situation, I genuinely loved, I was the biggest supporter, biggest like cheerleader, and like advertisement for my job. I genuinely did not see all the things that I see now because I was projecting who I am onto the situation. I genuinely love to help people. We're all about the company I work for. They're all about, you know, sharing, sharing, you know, caring and, and giving back and all that stuff. That's their brand. Right. And so I just was like, Oh, this is a perfect fit. I threw myself completely into it. I dedicated myself to it. I literally would advertise all the freaking time and never really asked for anything in return, I would get promoted. And I thought it was simply just because I was always one of the best, if not the best at my job. I never thought it was because I had no boundaries and they knew that I was their yes girl. And so it wasn't until I got into a leadership position that I started to see what it was really like because it's a difference when you are one of the the workers, right? You can kind of commiserate over the work and you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes with the higher ups and that hierarchy system because everybody that you're talking to, you're all on the same level, right? Mm -hmm. Once I got into a leadership position, I started to see that the expectation for me was to be a part of this social game. That I never, ever had any interest in. Oh, you're supposed to go to the lunches with this person who's above you, who invited you out. Or you're supposed to sit around at lunch and talk crap about the people who are below you. And you're supposed to do X, Y, and Z. And I was just like, so... Everything that you guys do is for a specific end. It's not because you actually enjoy doing it, and you don't actually like these people. You guys are bullies. you this I never left high school. This is click mentality. This is wow. And it really broke me because it broke my heart because, again, I really genuinely loved. Everything that I was doing, and I thought everyone around me—or for the most part, not everybody, you know—but the the people that I gravitated towards, I thought we were all on the same page. And now realizing that most of them were just playing the game, and they didn't actually like me, but I was genuinely invested in them and thought they were my friends.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It fucking it broke me. It really did, and it made it difficult to want to be around these people because it's like, well, you didn't change, but I did. <laughs> I changed, and now I see you for who you are, and I can't be fake around you. I see you as a gossipy bully, even though before we used to key. key. and and I don't I don't know. Like I started to switch up because I'm an all or nothing kind of person, and I'm trying to find that balance. Um, but I, this is a long winded way of saying I didn't even really start to think about their perspective too. It was like, well, wow, I'm so used to Tiara being this way, and now she's like this. No wonder people aren't really talking to me right now. But um, I don't know. It's weird. Like it's been a couple months since I've been out of work and I'm getting closer to the end of my FMLA and I have some decisions to make. And I'm just like, I don't know what I'm going to do because I need to, there's so many things tied to work, but there's so, every time I think about going back, I have like another panic attack Mm -hmm. because I'm like, if I'm in this environment, I'm going to have to start masking again because there's no way to survive in that environment without some form of a mask and that is terrifying to me to to remask and to mask on purpose i've never done that i've never masked on purpose
1: yeah <clears throat> i'm i'm in a phase where i'm getting a little nervous about my finances right now i have a roof over my head like i'm pretty i'm pretty good but i am applying for jobs right now office jobs they don't want to go back to salon work and like my background's in real estate and property management so i've been uh, applying for property management jobs and i'm just like every time i hit send i'm like (laughs) i don't want to do i don't want to do it um but i also have to consider i've been living in a bubble pretty much since i moved back home um and have been diagnosed and like being on tiktok and being in communion with other people that are ADHD. Um, I've been living in a bubble. I don't really go out. I don't really socialize. Most of my friends are friends on TikTok. Um, Very few people know that I'm autistic. Um, So in terms of like masking on purpose, I don't know if I can fully unmask out in the world anyway. I don't know that I have done that yet. I go from home to the gym to hanging out with like one or two friends who I believe are neurodivergent too but I I don't think I I don't think I have fully unmasked like when I'm around people that I don't know it's so instinctual like in my head I'm thinking okay if I do get an office job again oh I'm gonna have to unmask but like am I or I'm gonna have to remask but have I fully unmasked anyway? I don't know.
2: Mm.
0: That's a good point. Um, yeah. I don't think I, cause I mean, I haven't had the opportunity to, I've been kind of a shut in as well. Ever since everything happened, I, I go on drives because I like to <clears throat> go out and, and get out of the house, but it's me in the car by myself. So mm-hmm. like, and then I, I've, I've been out twice socially once um, I was completely sober and it was the worst experience of my life. Mm. Like I'm not even going to, I'm not even, I don't want to say worst experience of my life, but it was terrible. Like being out and I was with one of my best friends, but we went to a bar and then to a club and I was, I had just started medicine that I couldn't take out. I couldn't drink alcohol with, mm-hmm. I was on an antibiotic. And so I was like, yeah, I definitely can't drink this weekend, but I just thought, oh, it'll be fine. I'm with one of my best friends. If it was just me and her, <clears throat> totally would have been fine. I don't need to drink when we're together cuz like we I've always been able to be myself around her. But because we were at a bar with other people, I felt so anxious the whole time that I literally was just quiet. And I remember there was these two girls standing next to me and I I hate this all the time how indirect a neurotypical people are but they were having a conversation with an earshot of me and they were saying certain things that I could tell were kind of like trying to bait me to join the conversation as opposed to just like coming up to me to talk
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I just remember standing there the whole time like hearing them but like focusing on the tv in front of me and like blocking them out and like I know it was a really awkward experience but I was like I can't talk to you right now I'm so anxious like and then that's the first time I realized that like I use alcohol in social situations to like open up and like get out of my head. And so I don't think I've ever fully, that was like the closest I've come to unmasking in public because like I could have gone and, you know, made them feel comfortable and started talking to them. But I kind of stood 10 toes down and just was like, yeah, I'm not going to talk to you unless you like directly talk to me. But at the same time, internally, I felt like I was panicking on the the inside. Like, this is so uncomfortable. I need to get out of here. Like, I don't know. So Maybe that's part of the anxiety too. Whenever I think about going back to work, I'm just like, how can I do this? I used to do it before with ease, but it was because I was unconscious to it. Now it's Mm -hmm. like the thought of having to act fake. Cause to me, it's acting fake. I know people saw me as fake before because they interpreted my mask a lot of the times as fake, but I know I wasn't being fake. That was a genuine reaction. But now when I think about it, it wouldn't be me being fake coming in and smiling and pretending that i'm happy to be there
2: hmm. it's rough <laughs> yeah
1: yeah um but then you know i think it's important to ask yourself in the workplace what genuinely makes you happy what genu- what genuinely makes you happy about your job what makes you smile at work like what do you love about what you do
0: I love helping people. Um my my job is I'm a, I'm a coach. Um I don't want to give too much away cuz I still kind of work there but like I coach people on their quality and their um and how they can get better at their job. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's kind of like a supervisor quality assurance position combined. And um yeah, the kind of work that we do is we we help people who have like major issues um With their product. And so we go above and beyond to help them out. And I was really great at my job when I did it. Now I'm in the position to help other people who have the same position I used to have. And so it really, I don't know, I love being able to help them work through problems and problem solve and things like that. That's always been something that I've been interested in. That's why I'm in school now completing my degree in applied psychology, because I've always been someone who's loved to help people work through issues, figure things out. And it's not just about their quality. A lot of the times it'll overlap into work-life balance. We'll talk about, hey, what's what's keeping you from being able to do X, Y, and Z? And that is the part that I love. So I love the the job that I was paid to do. The job or the work that is stressful for me is the the emotional labor that comes along with doing that job. That's why I asked to be able to work from home. That's what started this whole thing. I asked if I would be able to work from home full time because I'm fully capable of doing my job. I can still meet with everybody virtually and do everything that I need to do. But the... The added social pressure of being in the office and doing the small talk and being expected to be a part of all of these little things that I have zero interest in and that also bring me stress was too much for me. And so I had to make a decision. It was like, well, no, you can't work from home. So you either have to come in or I guess this position isn't the job for you, which is literally what my boss told me. Um, And so I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to take some time because I can't do the job the way that you say I'm supposed to do it right now. And I don't really know what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to have to step away because I'm not coming in right now. And that's kind of where I'm at.
2: Mm. Yeah,
0: Yeah. (laughs) I know I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place because at this point I feel like a burden on my family and stuff like that, even though I know they don't, they they told me yesterday I had a whole breakdown with my mom and my dad, um, where I was like, I'm sorry, I'm such a burden, and they were like, you're never a burden, you're our, our daughter, and we love you, and I appreciate that, but like, at the same time, I'm like, I did do this for so long, should I just go back, but I, I can't, I don't know, I don't want to keep talking about this, uh, but I know like, I know you can relate to like being that high achiever, being the person that people relied on. And then now it's like, I got to take care of myself. And it's scary because I had to take a step back, a step back further than I thought I would be taking mm-hmm. to hopefully be able to t- make leaps forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it just, it sucks that we have to be able to support ourselves and we're taught that we have to do that by any means necessary, even when it's completely breaking us down, even, even when it's killing us, we still have to do it because you have to make rent, you have to pay bills, you have to maintain health insurance, you have to do all these things. But the world is set up for neurotypical people. The world is not set up for people that want to crawl out of their skin because the light is too bright or who want to jump off a cliff because like, things are too loud or things are too itchy or scratchy on your skin and i i don't i live with my mom i'm 36 years old and i live at home with my mom and i don't have a lot of prospects for going out and living on my own again unless i take a job that i hate job i'm good at but a job that i hate if they even hire me (laughs) and it's just it's hard to think of what my future is going to look like um One thing about our generation is that we are not set up for elder care. Like what happens when we are seniors? What happens when we can't work anymore? What happens if we can't work at 40 or 45? Because the burnout after burnout has taken its toll. Some people don't ever recover from burnout. So knowing that we have to go back into the workforce, knowing how it's going to play out, knowing what it's going to be like, like you can only have burnout so many times right? Like, it takes its yeah. toll every time. So, I'm, I have this podcast that I do, I have TikTok, and for Black creators, TikTok is bleak when it comes Period. to, like, uh. being an influencer on there. It is so hard for Black people on TikTok. Any old random raggedy, like, faceless account can just get you banned because they just don't like something you said, even if it's true. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the first thing about monetizing a podcast, girl. I know nothing. I just record and upload. I don't know if that's gonna do anything. I have a YouTube that I don't know how to figure out, but and I'm writing books and I'm hoping that book sales, like if I have enough books doing kind of okay, then, then that's my passive income and I'm good. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's my goal. I want to live a soft life because I have earned it. Amen. I have earned it. There's no retirement for me. There's no 401k for me. I like you've worked a corporate job. Like you have those things. Like the government's like doing that for you. But when <laughs> you've been working in salons, you've been a commission person your entire adulthood. You've been self employed most of your adulthood. Like those things aren't set up for me. I don't have retirement. When I'm yeah. 65, if I even live that long, I don't have anything set up for me. So My goal now is passive income streams. And if it means selling ebooks on Amazon and selling a few copies a month, if I have enough on there, (laughs) then I might be okay. But I just, I dread, I dread going back to work because I know I'm not going to last. I've never held a job for more than a year. And that's a lot. The longest job I held was almost 10 years. And that was me working for myself. And even then I burnt out. I had all the control and I still burnt out.
0: Girl, I feel you on that. Especially wanting to live a soft life after after all of this, I realized starting to reconnect to myself, or connect to myself for the first time. Like that is who I genuinely want to be. Like when I think about what makes me happy, I it's it doesn't make me happy going and working for someone else. Like it's so funny, I the the job I had, the last office job I had before this, I actually got laid off and I was happy that I got laid off because I had been miserable there and I had been looking for another job, but I knew that I couldn't quit because if I quit, I wouldn't get unemployment and I wouldn't, you know, be eligible for any kind of benefits. So when they laid me off, I got a severance pay and I was able to like take some time I worked for three years doing gigs, just like driving for Uber, driving for Lyft. Now, granted, I didn't have, I I wasn't comfortable financially, but I was able to survive. And I genuinely was a lot happier then than I have been the last year and some change at my job where i would I make great money, I have great benefits. I have a great car. I'm able to afford you know up before the last couple of months able to afford a really nice lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I would much rather go back to living just making enough to survive if I'm doing stuff that makes me happy and even though like i'm I'm willing to move outside of my comfort zone at this point, like I've made this comfortable nest and I got so used to this certain lifestyle, but it didn't challenged me to grow and it also was killing me it it was killing me to maintain this lifestyle just because it was comfortable and I think that it would be more natural for me to just kind of like find my bliss like I don't Mm -hmm. know follow the dopamine the ADHD part of me is, is, is coming out but that seems more appealing to me than going back to some structure where I'm selling my life to someone else for them to make more money than I'll ever see in a lifetime in like a year I don't know and it sounds weird you know when you try when I try to explain that to certain people especially other people who are in a position that I used to be in and they buy into that corporate structure and they saw the track that I was on they would think I'm crazy they're like you 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 could have been a manager. You're, you're on your track to be a manager. You're on track to do this, that, and the other. Why would you give it up to go, you know, drive for DoorDash and like, <laughs> you know, make a couple bucks a week? Well, it's because if I drive for DoorDash, it's just me and my car and I'm just helping people bring them their food. And there's nobody mm-hmm. standing over me speaking passive aggressively and expecting me to kiss their ass because they have a certain title. Mm-hmm. It feels more natural to me. And it doesn't matter if I have the ability to do these things where I have all these skills that you find desirable or you wish that you could do your job the way that I did it. We're Mm -hmm. not the same people. This soft life is what's calling me. It's it's really calling my name.
1: It's been calling me and I'm picking up.
0: (laughs) Well, girly, thank you so, so, so much for joining me on the very first episode of Beyond Deconstructing. We could continue talking for hours, I'm quite sure. Yep. <laughs> um, And I am definitely excited to have you on some future episodes as well. Before we go, I want to give you an opportunity to you know, say anything that you would like to say, any kind of parting words, and also let everyone know where they can find you on social media.
1: Um. So my parting words are going to be this. Uh, if you're someone that suspects that you are on the spectrum, you have autism or ADHD, uh, talk to people. Don't be afraid to jump on TikTok, look up those hashtags, reach out to the people with even if they have like the top content, top like no one. I haven't encountered anyone that wasn't willing to respond to me and have a conversation with me if I had a question. This community is like really open, really positive, really welcoming. Start asking people questions. Um, if you're someone that feels like you need a formal evaluation, one, know that self-diagnosis is completely valid. And I think it's actually a little bit more beneficial than getting the actual, the actual um, formal diagnosis. Both are completely valid, though. So if you need to save your coins, know that if you feel that you're on the spectrum, you probably are. And like, that's enough. Um, Yeah, uh, it's not. Don't buy into the stigma of being autistic. Don't buy into it. Don't let anyone make you feel ashamed or make you feel like, oh, you're just lazy. You're just this. You're just that. Autism is real. Um, Little white boys aren't the only people that have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> little children that have it grow up and guess what when you're a grown up you still have it so just know that you're totally valid um and then you can find me at unhinged and dysregulated i have the same username for everything i'm mostly on tiktok I'm trying to do more on youtube because so i think it's just it's such a more stable platform than tiktok is <laughs> um i'm trying to get into some more long-form content not just to like Plug the podcast but just to show more of myself in long form um I also have my podcast unhinged and dysregulated I don't have a posting schedule I have ADHD so the expectations need to just be lower because I don't have a set day
0: (laughs) reduce your expectations to zero (laughs) zero.
1: (laughs) Um, but yeah I'm on TikTok pretty much every single day and I just love talking to people and yeah that's me. Oh, I also have a book. Duh, I wrote a book. <laughs> <Important>. <laughs> I have a book on Amazon TDP. Um, it's called Neuroinclusive and Trauma-Informed Manifestation. And in that, I talk a little bit about my personal experiences with religion and spirituality and the toxic New Age spirituality community and alternative methods for manifestation for people that can't always think positive and who don't have a lot of control over their thoughts if you're someone with adhd with racing thoughts all the time it's so hard to meditate and like that's not the only way to manifest and i've sold a a good amount of copies so far and i've had really good feedback so far from people in the the neurodivergent community so if you're someone that's kind of struggling with new age spirituality and manifestation and all the woo woo stuff um it's a pretty good book to read i think (laughs)
0: <laughs> awesome song so like i said i can't wait to read it and i definitely will have you back on afterwards because i know i'm gonna have to pick your brain about some things um but i thank you so much girly we could we still have to go live together on tiktok i, know. I think that would be cool yeah. So yeah, we will definitely chat soon. I want to thank you guys so much for stopping by and spending some time with me today. Um, I don't have a set schedule yet for when this is going to be out either. So this is episode one. Can't tell you what episode two will be, but <laughs> stick around for it. And uh thanks so much, you guys. Peace and love.